Welcome to Gun Owners of America, State of the Second podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee. And I'm John. And today we're going to be talking with Trey from Ghost Tactical. Trey, how are you? I am living the dream. Thank you for having me. Well, we appreciate you hopping on with us today. So, Trey, give for people who don't know who you are. Uh, give a little backstory about you, how you got started in the 2A community. Like, I want to hear, I want to hear the, the trace, like legacy, like my story. origin story, Your origin story, the Batman origin story. Yeah. Holy cow. I grew up in Plano, Texas, a little suburbia outside of Dallas and guns were never a part of my life ever. Like I probably shot like a 22 or something on my buddy's ranch growing up or something, but never really thought about it. I played sports and had fun growing up in Dallas, but guns were never part of anything until I joined the Marine Corps when I was uh, almost 19. Go to second phase of boot camp, and you learn to shoot the M16A2, and I shoot it, and I was like, hmm, that's kind of fun. So I enjoyed that. So I kind of had that aha moment like right away, and I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. And obviously weaponry is a big part of the life of a Marine, so I, I, I grew into that. got to shoot all sorts of really cool stuff. I come home from boot camp. You get 10 days off before you go out to combat training. And the second day back, I went to Walmart and bought like a $119 Winchester 3030. And that was the first gun I bought like two days after boot camp. And uh, I guess that's where the journey started, I guess. And then it's kind of like it's grown drastically. I mean, pretty much. Yeah. You, you're doing, you've got uh, the Ghost Tactical YouTube page. Yeah. You've got your uh, Ghost Tactical podcast. Yeah. You've got your. Um, Jarhead podcast. The Jarhead. I got one with Clovertack. Uh, you guys go check out Clovertack, the Ghost and Clover podcast. We do that every other week. So I'm involved in a lot of different podcasts. And yeah, it's kind of fun. Like I, I got into competitive shooting probably about 10 years ago. I uh, started doing some uh, steel target stuff, then got into IDPA. And I was going, this is like in 2017, I think. I was at the range. I was getting ready to come down to Texas, actually. I live in Arkansas now, but I, I was going out to Texas for a, a, a match. And I was doing some weird stuff. You know, people look at the range and see one's getting ready for a match. It's kind of weird, you know, working on draws and stuff. And this guy's at the end of the range. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, you know, am I bothering you? And he's like, no, I just wonder what you're doing. I was like, I'm getting ready for a match. And he's like, oh, man, you should do a video about that. I'm like, what? I never really watched YouTube, honestly, like much, you know. And he's like, you should do a YouTube video. And I'm like, No. Yeah, I said, so my, my, my first video, I tell the story all the time. It's, it's terrible. Like I'm literally <laughs> selfie styling, like at the range, Hey guys, you know, and, and next thing I know, I have like, you know, a hundred views on that thing. And I was like, people are watching this. So at that point I was like, I made a second video and I was like, this is very odd. So at that point I started originally it was under my, my YouTube channel that I had to like watch videos. And so I created the, a logo and changed it to that ghost tactical. And, um, now I've got like 12 people watching me. <laughs> All 12. It's pretty awesome. Like six years later, <laughs> I make, I'm making like tens of dollars a month. It's awesome. <laughs> now you are really into the, the kind of two a advocacy space. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely would not call me an activist. Uh, I, I, I leave that to other people that are much, much better at that. For me, yeah, I'm absolutely an advocate for sure. So I'm going to push you on that a little bit because at GOA, we have a definition of what a gun rights activist is. Okay. And it's someone who takes personal responsibility, not only in the use of their firearms, but in the defense of their right to own them. 
And I think that there's a, a misconception with people um, and what they realize or what they don't realize is everyone is a gun rights activist to some degree. Whether you are a gun rights activist in the, the manner that you are highly involved and you're emailing your representatives and, and you are commenting on ATF comment periods and you're engaging um, socially through mm. YouTube and, and other spaces or whether your activism is is private with only telling your friends and your family about the Second Amendment and educating them in that way. I think everyone's activist journey looks different, but I think that there's a social pressure that if you're an activist, all of a sudden you are a radical group, and that's not the case. Yeah. And and so I, I'm always really, um, I always really wonder when people say, oh, well, I don't consider myself an activist. I say that because I think that calling myself an activist is putting down the true activists. Like, I don't want to diminish what really good people are doing some really great work are. I don't put myself in that category. That's why I'm not trying to demean the word activist. I'm saying that I don't belong with some of the people like, you know, Maj, and you've got, you know, Kevin Dixie, I mean, Tony Simon, all these people that are doing great work in, the, in their own communities trying to spread the two-way word, I don't put myself anywhere near that because I'm not trying. It sounds bad. I, I'm, I'm trying to, but for me, an activist, and I think that's maybe where I maybe have a different thought on what an activist definition is. For me, an activist is someone that's actively out there trying to promote and politically change the landscape of what the two-way is. As much as I would like to do that, I don't, consider myself at that point because I don't feel like I have that clout. I don't feel like I have the heart and the desire and the fight in me, honestly, to go to Washington, to go to all of these things and politically try to fight. What I'll try to do is be an advocate and say, here's how I live my life. And maybe that rubs off on someone and says, hey, you know, that guy coaches softball and he does this and he does that. And oh, by the way, he still conceals carry. That to me is how I would like to like kind of I, I see myself is here's how I live. Here's how I do it. This is why this is important to me. If you kind of believe in the same kind of thing, don't be afraid to do it yourself. But I don't see myself as the person that's standing up at a podium giving a speech. Like, can I do that? Absolutely. Do I want to do that? I think there's better people than that than me. And that's why I'm, I'm not trying to demean the word activist at all. I'm trying to actually lift it and say that's I'm not there. Like, I'm not that person. I don't think that I'm that good or anything. Like, that's for special type of people that have that fight in them. And can I fight? Absolutely. Do I have that fight in me day in and day out? I like to think that I do, but let's be honest, I probably don't. Yeah. And and that's a very different perspective. Um, and I appreciate you giving that because I, I do think that ultimately we want the same goal. Absolutely. We want to see the protection of our Second Amendment, and ultimately we want to see the restoration of our Second Amendment. Absolutely. What I will encourage you and anyone else listening to this podcast is your voice matters regardless of how big your your platform is. Whether you're sitting at your computer and you send an email to a senator and it takes 45 seconds, or whether you are, like yourself, speaking on a podcast like this or your own. Um, and that's it's so important because we need all of the the different voices. 
Absolutely. There's there's so many different levels. We need those activists. We need the Cheryl Todds of the world. We need the Eric Pratt's of the world. We need all these people that are doing all these great things, but we also need soldiers. And the soldiers that are doing the day-to-day fighting in the, in the trenches and saying, we've got, we've got the generals up there. They're fighting the big fight politically. We're going to fight in the trenches saying, here's how we go day-to-day. And I think that's where I fit in. And I think all my friends that are in the influencer and creator world, I think that's where we fit in is we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different reasons, our, our, our different whys. We talk about what's your why. We all have different whys of why we do this. And I think that that's the cool thing about it is we all come from different backgrounds. One of my best friends in the world is Clover Tech. And we don't agree on most things in our lives. We come from way different backgrounds. We have different likes and firearms. Everything, we couldn't be more different. But we get along. And, and the cool thing about that is, is because we respect each other's why. We respect each other's work ethic. We respect each other's why he's doing this. We respect his background. He respects mine. And we come from America, which everyone's so much different. So I think there's a voice and a person for everyone to identify as a creator out there. So I think if you're true to yourself, I think that's the cool thing about what we do is why I I like being an advocate. If I'm true to who I am, I'm not trying to appeal to everyone. I just want to try to appeal to people that have the same interests as I do and the same thought processes as I do to where if I have 10 people to say, I like that, I like what he said. Well, cool, now I've got 10 people, and maybe they tell 10 people, and maybe those 10 people tell people, and that's how the domino effect works. But we do, we have, we have to have, you know, we have to have the, the, the generals up there. we got to have the soldiers, and we got to have everyone in, in step, at least with the same common goal, right, which is repeal the NFA and everything that goes along with 2A. Will we get there? God, I hope so. I mean, I hope we can repeal the NFA. That's, that's my biggest goal in the world is I, if we can repeal the NFA, then – Let's go. Yeah, I mean, GOA has always had the philosophy internally that we want to work ourselves out of a job. We would love for the Second Amendment to be so restored and so secure that we're not necessary. Absolutely. And I I think that our founder, H.L. Richardson, really instilled that from the time that he created our organization. We're 46 years old. We'll be 47 um, in November, which is crazy. Because most most organizations in the the nonprofit sphere, unfortunately, don't last that long, um, yeah. and it's thanks to our members and it's thanks right. to our core philosophy mm-hmm. and um, the, our leadership now is is continuing that fight and we have a culture where we really do we're, we're not just talking the talk we're walking the walk. Um, and we do want to see and, and work ourselves out of a job. You know, I, I love that you brought up the, the word culture. And the, the, the gun culture, it means so many different things as well. There's there's people that are just hobby shooters. There's people that are competitive shooters. There are people that are hunters. There are people that are operators. There are all sorts. Of, and, and, and they all have the same goal is, you know, we're, we're no different than anybody else. We just we like guns. And... We look at people look at us like we're evil because we like guns. But people don't realize that gun owners are probably the safest people to be around. Like true gun owners, like we take pride in gun safety. We take pride in making sure, you know, some people call them the three rules of firearms. A buddy of mine calls it it's the four whatever, the rules of firearms. Like gun owners take that seriously, you know, and and um the culture of, of guns is there is no culture of guns. There's no gun culture. There shouldn't be. It's everyday people. Just some some of us, it's 
choose to ex- exercise our right to carry guns every day. Exactly. It is a constitutionally protected right, not a government-granted That's one. correct. It, it's, it's a natural right to defend ourselves. It's guaranteed by the Constitution. Well, in, in your comment section and everything, you know, I, and I applaud you because, you know, you and I have been friends for a, a yeah. long time now. Yeah. You have built such a great community of people you know, yeah, well, <laughs> but you've brought in a good, you're the community of people that, that follow you and yeah. interact are from different walks of yeah. life, different yeah. things. I mean, from, from a truck driver to, yeah. to, you know, guys in the industry to, you know, the, the people that are just every day and the conversations you and I have had privately and yeah. the, the conversations we we've ones. had with, um, with people during live chats and mm-hmm. things like that, you know, you may not see, but you you are spreading a community that's passing it on yeah. to others. And I know, I know, like I don't want to give you you inflate your head, but I can't get much bigger head. Than <laughs> you know, but and that's what when I applaud no, you I, know the you're you're right you know you have your your definition and and that's what this is good for where we see different sides of of what each other think and have this conversation and this is what we're missing in America nowadays where we can't have these conversations where we may not agree on the same term of a word yeah. but we're here respecting each other and understanding that's, things that's the that's the craziest thing that that I've noticed just in the, like the last 10 years like you can't have conversations anymore Someone's gonna get like irate within the first five minutes of any talk, and you know it, it's so funny that you know a bunch of us we we uh, you know and we have we talk all the time. A bunch of us talk all the time. We're all friends, which is great. That's a great thing about the gun community and the gun culture is in the last six years, some of my best friends in this world I've met because of this YouTube thing, which is awesome, right? So uh, you know, John and I talk, and we, a bunch of us talk, and. A lot of the, the thing we talk about is is how do you have this conversation with people that hate us? And, you know, a bunch of us have said for a long time, don't try to change their minds. It's not your job. It's your job. It's not my job. Sounds bad, right? GOA, you're there to try to change minds politically and all of that. For me, I'm not there to try to change people's minds. Plant the seed. Make them ask their own questions. Let them find out that information on their own, and maybe they come to the realization of, I don't agree with what he says, but I understand what he says. I don't like that he likes guns, but I don't think he's a threat. Or maybe gun people aren't as bad as we think they are. Maybe we've been misled by the media. Maybe we've been misled by our representatives. There's a lot of things we can do instead of changing, instead of going wholesale changing people's minds. You're never going to change 10% on the left. You're never going to change 10% on the right. The 80% in the middle are up for discussion. Plant some seeds. Let them find out the information on their own. Hopefully you give them a good example of who a, a good gun owner is, a good guy with a gun, if you will, a responsible gun owner. Maybe they take that home. Maybe they look up some information and say, hmm, hmm, oh, I didn't realize that. Or, you know, that guy was a pretty good guy. Had I known that he didn't tell me, I would have never known he was a gun guy. Well, there's a lot of us that are like that. We go to church with you. We go to cookouts with you. You see us at the grocery store. What's different now than it was three months ago before you knew I was carrying a gun? You liked me three months ago. Now you don't like me? Same person. Just now you know I'm carrying a gun. 
that's the that's the biggest problem I see is people just automatically draw that line, good and evil. We're all on the same side here. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that is so difficult for people to understand mm-hmm. is you have a Second Amendment right whether you choose to exercise it or not. And so when you're advocating for um, that right to be diminished or taken away, you're losing something too. And you might not even realize that you're losing it in that moment until you decide, you know, I I actually need to to be able to defend myself. And I think that's why you've seen so many new gun owners um, come into the community and I think you're seeing, in many ways, a redefining in the culture on what is a gun owner. You're mm-hmm. seeing women join the 2A community at such a high rate. You're seeing minorities join at such a high rate. Well, why is that happening? It's because we feel the need to protect ourselves. We feel the need to get training and to understand that, you know what, if something were to happen... I am my own first responder in yes, so many ways. Yep. I think a lot of it comes down to you and you bring in women and all that. And I think it's funny. This is, And I don't want this to sound weird, but I think it's funny that just in the last few years, not just women, but people in general have come to the fruition that they need to defend themselves. Where was that the last 100, 200 years? I think what's happened is, is you've been raised with this, this story that law enforcement is there to protect you, and they are. But when seconds count, they're minutes away. And that's a true thing, especially where I live, out in rural Arkansas. It's going to take 15, 20 minutes for anyone to get where I live. It's over in three, you know. Uh, I think where a lot of it comes down to is maybe changing the mentality, like you said, as people have started to understand that maybe I should be my own, you know, first responder. Um, I'll tell you another thing also, and this is where I go with this, is there are still going to be people that do not, for some reason, do not feel comfortable carrying a gun. Now, I've been very vocal about this, and it's and I get hate a lot of time. I truly believe that if you haven't made that conscious decision that you're ready to pull that trigger when time needs to, then don't carry until you are ready. And that's been controversial. I get hate emails all the time. But you can do more damage if you're not mentally prepared to take that shot than if you weren't ready and just start I'll take that shot, and you weren't ready for it. You can hit someone else. So I'll say this. I think everyone should carry a gun. I think that they should be ready to carry a gun mentally. It's not just a physical thing. People have no idea what it is to take a life, and until you're ready to do that, train more, practice. But you know what you can do while that happens? You can go get Stop the Bleed training. You can go get some tourniquet training. You can get first aid training. You can go get CPR training. If something happens in that gas station where we're getting gas and someone comes out with a gun, I got it. But if someone gets shot, I need someone to be the other first responder. And medical training is just as important as firearm training, in my opinion. One of the things that that the left loves to do mm. is to paint gun owners as we are just waiting for the, the next <laughs> mass murder to happen. And the reality is, is through... GOA, I've had the the privilege of talking to thousands of gun owners across the U.S. I've been at GOA a long time. And um, one thing is has remained consistent. No one wakes up in the morning going, man, I hope today is the day that I get to be the hero. Mm, Most people, when they get ready in the morning and, and they pick up that firearm and they go out the door, they're like, man, I really hope I don't have to use this today. I hope I'm ready if I do, but 
I, I really hope that I don't have to use this today. You know, it's, it, it's, I didn't realize it, honestly, until you were talking about that. You know what I think about in the morning? Nothing. I guess I've been caring for so long that I don't even think about, I hope I don't get to use this or I hope I have. I don't, I don't think about the gun at all. It's the same for me as like grab my wallet, grab my keys, I grab my gun. I don't think about using it or not using it. And maybe I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But I think a lot of it comes down to is, is it shouldn't be that thought, in my opinion. Maybe I have a, an opinion that's probably not going to be well taken. I don't know. But it shouldn't be a thought at all. If everyone's caring and they've been carrying long enough. No, do you think about it all the time? I I, I don't. Maybe yeah. I, maybe I should, but I don't. I don't even think about using it when I pick it up in the morning. Put it on my hip or put it in the vehicle wherever, you know whatever I'm doing, I get in the car. I don't think about well, I need to put it there because just in case I don't put it right there in my door until I get out and go in my office or whatever. I don't even think about using it. Like I said, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I think we've gotten to the point to where I've made that decision long time ago. Um, I know I'm okay with pulling that trigger. So one of the other things that's so important is that training aspect. Absolutely. And there's a narrative that is going on as we continue to get more and more permitless carry and constitutional carry states across the country. 27 now? Yeah, 27. And and hopefully more will come each and every year as, as we work towards that ultimate goal of, you know, concealed carry reciprocity and, and being able to, to, you know, go wherever you, you need to go with, with your firearm. Um, but there's this misconception that training stops (laughs) and generally in a constitutional carry state, we're seeing that more people are getting more than the minimum required training Mm. and they're wanting to train under different people Mm. and getting a variety of exercises and I know from I've, I've been a gun owner for a good amount of time I don't want to give up my age but a good <laughs> amount of time and when I first purchased my firearm um I was told you know like here's the here's the training you go sure. you go take it this gets your concealed carry class and a lot of people think that's enough oh yeah and they don't think they need to go out and, and stay sharp and, and practice. And um, they're like, okay, it's, it's the state minimum. Cool. They, they, they know what I need. The reason why it's called the minimum, right? And so it's so crazy to me that the narrative exists that like, oh, this is going to hurt, you know, firearms instructors. Or this is going to cause less training when the exact opposite is true. When you are required as an individual to take more responsibility and more personal mm-hmm. responsibility. It's a greater weight yes. and you feel that. And so you want to be ready and you go and you get more training and, and yeah. it's, it's encouraging to see people yeah. take those steps. I think that's the one thing that the other side doesn't understand. I remember when Texas was going through, is it last year, two years ago? Last year, Texas went through constitutional carry? Two years ago. Two years ago. Okay. Two years ago, a buddy of mine was covered on his on his podcast, on his channel a lot, and all of the, the hearings. And obviously, there's a lot of people that were very pro. You didn't find hardly any. They weren't dumb enough to come onto this channel and say, you know, blah, blah, blah. But there were some people that were talking at that point about state-mandated training. Now, that I'm all for it. I'm, I'm a training like buff. I, I love training. I have friends that 
don't believe in it or don't, don't exercise it, that's cool because I know they do their own work at home and, and, and they're going to be proficient enough with their firearms. I think training is something that everyone should do, but it should be mandated because at that point, if you start talking about mandated training, what are you going to get? You're going to get these instructors come out of the blue that go spend 45 minutes to get some certification online because now they're a firearms instructor charging $250, $300 because you have to take this class or you can't get your, your permit or whatever. Um, and they don't care. They're not going to give you what you need to know. And they're probably going to be dangerous, to be honest with you. There's some instructors out there that are dangerous. They should not be instructing. What you have is the free market, which is what America is. You have the free market in firearms training. The top will rise. The bottom will go away. And so, yes, if you want to go and get high-level training, yes, you can go spend $1,000 for a two-day class. Is that going to be any better than the $100 class that you're going to get at home? I don't know. Go take both of them. Find out. But what you do is you allow the people that aren't good they'll get found out and they'll go away. They'll disappear. So what's left are the smaller instructors that are local that are really good. that just haven't made a big name for themselves yet. And then you've got the big dogs. Are they all good? Absolutely. They are. There's a price range for everyone, but mandating training is the bad way to go because you're allowing the vultures to come in at that point and just feed on us. So training is a big thing. And I love training. Um, there for a long time, I went to a, 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 a weekly class. Every week I went to a class, they did different things. And I loved it because you never knew what we were going to do the next week. Sometimes it would be, hey, bring your rifle. Sometimes bring your you know, guns. Sometimes bring a shotgun, whatever. Had different classes, different, different things. You never knew what we were going to do. There's about 10 of us that went every week on a Wednesday night. And it was awesome. Loved it. And then COVID happens and, you know, it goes away. And we don't get back into it. We need to start that up, by the way. But training, I, I think the biggest thing what you're saying is training is so good because, like you said, especially the new gun owners, I think it's natural for people to say, hey, I, I, I'm stepping into this world, and if I'm going to take this tool to help me defend mine and my family's life, maybe I should learn how to use it. No, I'm not saying you need to go be some tactical operator and get in the plate carriers and, and doing room clearing in, in a shoot house, but I think everyone needs to go and, and, and learn how the, the, the 101 of, of how to handle firearms. The problem with firearms training is this. The average person goes to a training class. And let's go say you spend $500 to go to, you know, Clint Smith's class or Reed's up, you know, you spend $500 to go do this two-day class. Fantastic. What do you do when you come home? Don't practice. You don't do anything yeah. because I took the class for two days. I'm good. I've been taught. Well, the whole idea of that is taking what you learned at that training, you go home and you practice it weekly, daily, whatever, however time you have. If you can't go to range weekly, you can dry fire. Surely you got 10 minutes a day you can dry fire. Take your gun out, put your magazine in a different room, clear it, make sure nobody else is in the room, do all that stuff. Go turn on lethal weapon and shoot the bad guys on the TV. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Dry fire. Dry fire, dry fire, dry fire. It's as good of practice as there is. There's great products out there that you can utilize to make dry firing fun. But that all that is is training. It's not training. When people get that word training, that doesn't mean getting kitted up. It just means working. You can train on your own. You can train with a, an instructor. You can train with a group of people. Train every day. And a key point there is training 
doesn't have to be cost prohibitive. It, it doesn't. It can be free. If you if you already own your firearm, like you're good to go in a lot of cases. And then, um, you know, as ammo prices have got higher, there's more and more um, products on the market that it is teaching you all of the things. Um, Mantis is one of them. That, that uh, is, I, didn't, I didn't know if I could mention a company, yeah, but I love Mantis. Yeah. yeah. Um, and those systems are great for people who, in this economy especially, might not have the ability or quite frankly, the time, depending upon when your range is open, yeah. to be able to go and practice like they should or, or maybe like they want to. And so it's great that we have, you know, dry fire. It's great that we have these these kits and, and these tools like, like Mantis. And so it lowers the bar. I'm always very concerned about what is our on-ramp. Yeah. What is our on-ramp? to getting people involved in the Second Amendment community? What is our on-ramp for inviting more people to become gun owners? And then on the flip side of that, what is our off-ramp to gun control? <laughs> like there's there's two sides of the highway, right? Yeah, um, I don't, like, th I don't so, like thinking about the off-ramp. <laughs> <laughs> off-ramp's closed usually. <laughs> <laughs> but, but whether that's, you know... Um, I'm an Autobahn guy. I get out left late and I roll. <laughs> <laughs> but... This got derailed a minute. Well, I'm sorry. I got, yeah, I got, my bad. I got, yeah, got, keep going. No, I got, I got. I want to add. So, so you're talking about the threshold and the on ramp, right? And we see now that they're trying to attack that with this thousand percent tax. Yeah. And and this idea that if you don't make enough money, you you know, and for some of us, we're lucky enough to have budget and and some disposable income, but not everybody is as lucky and. You see, like companies like High Point and things, where guns are a little bit less, yeah. and and we, we, you and I have Thank talked God about for this. Him, you know? But once you add a thousand percent tax on that, you know, a hundred and twenty dollars for for a High Point, or maybe you could call it any gun that's in that lower price, or the budget friendly. Adding that a thousand percent tax on it is now putting the people who could afford that out of the realm of affording it, and you're taking away their 2A rights because they may not be as fortunate as other people to have the disposable income, but they still have a right to defend themselves. Yeah, I, and, I, and I think that that's where... I, so here's the thing. I'm an optimist in, by, by general. I think people that know me well know me that I'm a, I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky guy. I try to um, make positive things happen out of bad things and, and try to stay positive that said i think that that's why i think that um this won't make it i really don't i think that i think the same guy didn't he um i can't remember his name i think he introduced it last year also as yeah, well so the thousand percent excise tax and other excise tax there's something that gets introduced almost every year probably every year does it ever make it out of committee i mean honestly so, it's mainly a, a bargaining tool. I think that's what, yeah. Right? But so, it sounds good. It scares people. It's even not, I mean, yes, it it, it does. <laughs> <laughs> um, it would price me out of, <laughs> out of the market immediately, Absolutely. right? But beyond that, it's this concept, and it's, it's a great strategy. I mean, we mm. use it on the opposite side of the spectrum, too. So let's propose a 1,000% tax, and then... When we propose a ten percent tax, well, look how reasonable we've, we are. Yes, we've and come so now down. we have to compromise because see, we wanted this, but now we we're only at a ten percent tax. Well, the issue with that is, 
we're losing the ground on the 10% oh, because yeah. we're not we're not holding the the current line. We as as second amendment advocates and and second amendment community, we have the high ground. We have the 27 words penned by our founders. That's correct. Any time that we allow that to get whittled down, we're losing that position of strength that's so yeah. vital. Yeah. Um and so on the flip side, we do that as as GOA. That's part of our federal strategy. Right. And um it, it's not propri- it's not proprietary, no. right? But when we get acts like the the right to keep and bear arm act, when we get acts like the shall not be infringed act introduced and we have people co-sponsor it. In a Biden administration, is that going to get signed even if it goes through the House and the Senate? No. But the hope is that one day there will be a president that signs it. And we're going to have on record people in the House, people in the Senate, sponsoring, co-sponsoring, publicly supporting this. And so it doesn't give them a place to hide when it's time for us to move the the needle forward and and to allow freedom to prevail. Yeah, I I think a lot of the, the biggest problem that there is out there is the compromise, right? And I know that we talk about, you know, you don't want to see how laws are made. You don't. It ain't pretty. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the the keys, right? We have to one. There's there's a educating people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not every gun owner knows what the NFA is. I. You're right. No, I, you're right. I, I I love educating people about that. I love educating them about. And if they do, they don't care. Honestly, a yeah. lot of them don't care. But. Um, but it's so important that you educate them on that so they see how ludicrous it is. I will say this is uh, obviously it doesn't make any sense. Okay. Um, there, there is, there is a tactic that the dark side uses. Now, when it comes to stars, I'm a fan of the dark side, but in this one, I'm not the dark side likes to throw a lot, a lot of things at the wall and see what sticks. Okay. So here's a problem that I have is most of us that kind of keep up with this stuff, to whatever extent, knows that a lot of this is just placating to their constituents. They want to say that they introduced a bill so they can go to their November next year and try to get reelected. Most of us understand how the game is played. The problem is, is most of the people that vote for these people don't know how the game is played. They think that these guys are actually trying to do this stuff. Now, they are trying to do it, but they most of them know it's not going to happen. Here's the problem. Now, I don't want to do their constituents take it and run. The media will jump on board and say, 1,000% gun ban. We're getting rid of lead ammo. we got a crazy Karen governor in New Mexico now. All of these people are jumping on this snowball. And what happens is, is if it starts here and we squash it in the beginning, it goes away. But you add and you add and you add, and this snowball happens, right? And here's the problem. Now it's in your face. You don't know what's going to stick, what's going to not. Now, making an individual an FFL because they decide to sell, it's absolutely ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. So what do we do to combat it? You want to introduce that bill? Then we're going to introduce a bill that gets rid of all FFLs. Every transfer is going to be a private transfer. No such thing as NFA, no such thing as serial numbers. You don't have to do anything. It's crazy, right? A crazy a crazy bill over here, we should take that and run with it on the other side and say, you want to truly compromise, then let's get in the room and truly have a discussion. None of this crazy stuff, 
none of this crazy stuff. Let's talk about what gun owners want, and let's talk about what anti-gunners want. And see if there is a conversation to be had. Not saying we should compromise, but let's find out what they really want. Because they're going to say they want to get rid of all guns. Well, guess what? I don't know where y'all are from, but in Arkansas, even the Democrats have guns. That ain't going to fly in Arkansas. You come try to get our guns, you're going to meet the redneck boys, and they're going to take care of you. (laughs) You don't want to come to Arkansas, I promise you. They don't need the police in Arkansas. National Guard, Billy Bob. Got a bunch (laughs) of Billy Bobs out there. You know what Billy Bob is? Billy Bob's a hunter. You know what hunters are? They're citizen snipers, bro. <laughs> Telling you. People had the rooftop Koreans in L.A. We got the rooftop rednecks, baby. <laughs> Don't come to Arkansas. Well, and there's a lot of states like that, right? Right. Yeah. There's a lot of states right like that. So don't tell us what you're going to do because you know what? And I do, you think- want us, do you want us to like not abide by what you want us to do? Because that's what we're going to do. People in the South especially, don't come rolling in with that because we're not going to care. Yeah, and I, I think... We're seeing representatives, especially in the House, really step up. Um, we have the Shall Not Be Infringed yep. Act that was introduced. Um, we have the the introduction of the Right to Keep and Bear Arms Act. Um, we've had the, the Shush Act, formerly the Hearing Protection mm-hmm. Act, uh, reintroduced um, by, I believe that one, Senator Lee. Um, you know, these are so important that these are, are introduced. It's so important that we as gun owners take the time and think, literally call and say, hey, thanks for inter- introducing this. Yeah. Thank you. And then call your, your representative and say, say vote for this. <laughs> co-sponsor this. Yep. Put your name on the dotted line. Yeah. It is so Vital. It goes all the way back to what we were talking about in the, at the very beginning of this, this conversation. You as an individual may only be a voice at one, but GOA has over 2 million members and supporters. We are a grassroots army. Absolutely. We are a, a vital voice when we all are, are loud. And so it, for an example, if you're like, if you're sitting here and you're listening to this podcast and you're saying, no, no, no. Um, yeah, I'm scared. I'm nervous. It doesn't really have any impact. Mm. It was comments to the ATF yes. that stopped the green tip ammo ban. That was a victory that happened because you as an individual made a comment. When it came to the the lead ammo ban that, that wrapped up a few months ago, 90, over 90% of the comments came from GOA members. You made an impact. When it came to pistol braces, you made an impact. Within a week. And when it comes to the, the pistol braces, I want to I hit on this point really yeah. quickly. It is so critical that you comment in those comment periods. To, to follow that up, we led six coalition letters to, um, to the House and the Senate when they were p- passing the House joint resolutions on pistol braces. This is so critical because those six coalition letters was our No Compromise Alliance, which is our industry alliance. It was our Two-Way Action Alliance, which is the um, Content Creators Alliance. It was our Caliber Club, so our Gun Store and Ranges Alliance. We had a, a hunting we um, coalition letter with our Second Amendment hunters. We had a um, Sheriff and Police Coalition letter. Um, and I think... Oh, and we had a Veterans Coalition letter. That's six, right? Um, and 
Don't get me counting. <laughs> <laughs> and those coalition letters allowed that House joint resolution, although it fell in the Senate, and we knew the president wasn't going to sign it. It was a bipartisan passage in the House. And this is why it's so important that we build these coalitions, because this is the important part. And I know it's in the court, and we can't really speak a ton about the court cases. But one of the ATF's major, major um, defenses in saying why they had the authority to, to do this redefinition in the first place is because they their argument is predicated on the fact that they have the authority to make those changes. And by the House... <laughs> yeah saying no that that wasn't the scope on which we agreed that that's not correct it blows a hole in in their argument which allows our legal team to make proper steps so that we can get that preliminary injunction right and even though we filed for for a national injunction and we only got an injunction that covered um our members it's still a net win Absolutely, it's a net win. I think the biggest thing when it comes to that injunction, whether it's there's yours and maybe maybe a couple other organizations, but that gives hope, right? Mm -hmm. That gives hope to sit there and say, okay, there's a judge out there somewhere that is. They're not saying they disagree with it, but they have questions about the legality of should the ATF be able to legislate which is what they're doing. They're, they're creating their own definitions. They're changing the definitions of what have all been. They're changing their own definition about what this piece is. For 10 years, they said it's this. And you can do this with it for 10 years. And then all of a sudden, they want to change that definition. My biggest thing is this. Take the politics out of it, right? Take the politics, take this piece, this pistol brace, take take that object out of what's going on. Take the politics out of the pistol brace, ATF versus whatever. What this is basically saying is the federal government was okay to making 30 million of their citizens felons overnight. That's the big story. They were okay with that. Well, they say 30 million people own pistol braces. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, I don't know if the numbers yeah. are right, but it's close to that. The federal government was okay saying 30 million of our citizens were okay making them felons overnight mm -hmm. after we've been telling them they're not felons for 10 years. That's the big story here. Not only that, but they also it's a blatant attack on the industry. <laughs> to go to go. How many of our friends' companies have either closed down or are close to closing their doors <laughs> because they invested everything into a pistol brace? Maybe they shouldn't have. But they did. Well, yeah, you're changing variants. You've had guns and TNE. You had everything going. How on. many of those have been approved by the ATF right. prior to this? Oh yeah, and you're what people don't understand may not understand because it, 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 a lot of it seems very simple. New variant of a of a rifle. Cut this. Do this. It's good to go, right? No, there's a lot. This of barrel's a different size by an inch and a half. You got to resubmit. <laughs> Not only that, but you also have to do all your TNE. You have to put it all, invest a ton of money into it. You yeah. got to do all these things. Yeah, that first gun, that the first gun for sale cost five hundred dollars. They probably got two and a half million into R and D the last five years in that yeah. gun. And they got to make their money back. Got to, you know. And I swear, if one of you two make another Star Wars reference, I'm gonna have to have issues. You this say, is not the podcast goes, that you want to be. She a goes part higher of. ground. We're, so are we Obi Wan Kenobi? <laughs> Can that be our thing? Can the gun community I think, be Obi Wan? Uh, I don't want to 
But on that note, I think yeah. it's time to wrap this up. We, this has been a great conversation. I think we need to have Trey on again. Yeah. I think this has been like a really the, Trey. I really appreciate you nah, with this. I enjoy the conversation. It was fun. It was fun. But uh, Trey, let's while we're wrapping this up, where can people find you? What podcast? What nights of the week? What <laughs> What aren't you doing? How many YouTube channels are you doing? You know all the fun stuff. Uh, socials. Man, my socials. So I'm not on Facebook anymore. And I just started an Instagram not too long ago because I got kicked from Instagram. And they said that I was interesting. They said that they took me down. It's almost been a year now. Because we were in Tulsa. And they said that my Instagram's gone. And all it says is, due to security reasons, we have taken your Instagram down. Our, our decision is final. There is nothing else we can do. Thank you. Have a nice day. No recourse, nothing. So uh, my new my new Instagram is Ghost Tactical Two Point um, which is a failure because I spent five, six, seven years cultivating this nice Instagram, and now it's gone. I'm not on Facebook, and I I'm so happy. One of the greatest things ever is them taking me off of Facebook because now I don't have Facebook, and you don't realize how dangerous Facebook is until you're not on it. Uh, there's some weird people. No offense, but there's some weird people on Facebook. <laughs> Um, I have a Twitter account, but basically my Instagram posts directly to Twitter. So I'm really not on Twitter. I'm really on YouTube uh, and, and, and I, I, I have fun on Instagram, um, but YouTube and, and, and so it's ghost tactical and you can go to ghosttactical.us is the website. You can find all the podcasts. I've got the armed citizen podcast that goes live on YouTube every Tuesday at seven central. John's a big part of that. Thank you for coming on every all the time. Um, and then it goes to podcast form, iTunes, Apple, all of those, Amazon, Spotify, all of those, uh, the, the audio side, uh, I have the jarhead podcast where, uh, the big, we started that a few, a couple years ago. And, um, can I shout out my sponsor for that? Am I allowed to do that? Yeah. You can cut uh, it out. You can cut it yeah, out. Hyperion Munitions. Thank you for sponsoring that. All the people that are great people over there. Uh, the jarhead podcast I started a couple years ago to tell stories, uh, for military. It's not just about Marines. I have SEALs on, I have Rangers on, I have different people on. Um, but it's transitioned over the last year to really kind of be something that gives a lot. Because if you think about it, 20 years, you know, it's been 22 years since 9-11. Well, a lot of people that joined the military right after 9-11, they're 20 years coming up and they're retiring. And a lot of these people have no idea what they're going to do when they get out. Here's some hard facts. The military doesn't care. They're not going to tell you what you can do after. You're a number. That's the cold, hard facts about the military. You get out, they don't care. So I start, start transition this podcast where I bring in veterans from different branches that have done something with their lives after service and kind of tell them, hey, you have special skills as a veteran. Utilize them in different ways. We try to give hope to people um, to help them in the transition from military life to civilian life. So that's a, a big one. I love that podcast. Uh, Clover Tech and I unfortunately started this weird thing up called the Ghost and Clover podcast um, where we we just, it's weird, but it's fun. It's a fun podcast. It's not necessarily a gun podcast. It can be, but it's more just us hanging out, talking, which is a fun one. And then I'm on a lot of different people's podcasts and, and shows and all that. Um, if you're interested in my stuff, which you shouldn't be, honestly, just <laughs> you shouldn't, please don't. Um, but if you are interested, you can go to ghosttactical.us and you'll find all the links over there and, uh, come hang out the live show. We have a good time with for sure. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me on. This is fun. No, oh, we pre Thank you. appreciate you. Absolutely. Um, 
So thank you for watching today. Make sure to like, share, subscribe, leave a five-star review here on all podcasting hosts. Make sure to go to gunowners.org, become a gun rights advocate. It's $25 for the year to join us. And thank you again, guys. Have a great rest of your day.